Let's read uh, our teaching text this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. We're going to read through chapter 5, verse 10. Let's read together. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifice for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his, fle of the, his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the, after the order of Melchizedek. It is so good to be here with you all. I am not saying this just to say it, but I truly believe that I have a, a second church home here at Beaver Baptist, and it is a, a true pleasure to be here. A second church family, as it is, and including a black sheep or two. And if you don't know who that is, it's probably Brian Billings would be my first um, nominee. But yours too? Amen, brother. It's truly good to be here. Thank you, Brother Shane, for inviting me and to Blake for hosting me. Uh, it's, been, it's been great. I want to actually begin just by sharing a bit of an update, a mission moment, if you will, live and in person. As Brother Shane said, it has been nine plus years of, of working hard soil, and, and over the last six months or so, though, we have seen God open the floodgates at South Fork Outdoorsman Church, and we have seen people coming in droves, and, and for us, that's small scale, but we went from, honestly, a group of 15 faithful folks to uh, this afternoon, I'm praying that there will be 60 or more gathered at South Fork to worship the Lord, and we are simply preaching the Word, we're worshiping, we're baptizing, observing Lord's Supper, and making disciples. That's all we're doing. My favorite part of the story about what is happening at South Fork Outdoorsman Church is two things. One, we didn't do anything to try to get more people to come. And two, we didn't do anything to try to make them stay. We simply have tried to remain faithful to God's word and trust him to do what he so faithfully does. Amen? Amen. I am glad to be here to be able to share with you from God's word. And I was considering what to share, and I have prepared a message from Ephesians chapter 1. But then I thought, what if I simply came up 
here and brought you into the context of where South Fork Outdoorsman Church is. And we are preaching through the book of Hebrews and have come to chapter 4 and are teaching on the high priest. And as I shared this with Shane, he said, well, we were just in Exodus last week talking about the high priestly garment. So isn't it interesting how God brings that together and we're going to gaze into scripture and we are going to see this high priest and we're going to slow down and, and, and just tackle a few verses and, and look at who this high priest is and, and what scripture doesn't suggest and what scripture doesn't simply advise, but what the scripture pretty clearly commands should be our response to who this high priest is. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and I ask that you would join with me as we approach his word. Father, we thank you. We pause and simply thank you. Lord, there are many things. Lord, we can thank you for what you have given us, our homes and healthy families, and, and Lord, have provided jobs. And Lord, there's so much that we could be thankful for, and, and, and we are. But God, I, I, I pause and just thank you for who you are. Lord, for your holiness. God, for your sovereignty. God, for your great mercy. God, for your loving kindness. God, for your justice. God, for your provision of the Lamb. We thank you. Pray as we come and Look into your word, Lord, that it would not be my words that teach, but it would be your word that teaches, and that you would use it to cut off the sharp edges and hard spots, and Lord, mold in us a heart that is soft and receptive to your perfect word. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, and his people said, I want to read again the three verses that I focus on this morning and out of what Brother Shane read. Verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want to take this passage as a whole. I want to break it down into there's four things that I want us to recognize about who this high priest is and what makes him special. And then follow that up with two responses in in reflection of the nature of this high priest from the text, which is the only place that we can learn exactly who this guy is. We see first that our high priest is great. Since then, we have a great high priest. I, as I preach, I, I tend to slow down and take forever and really break down some of the words that we might just read past and assume and, and look at those. And the first one that I come to and I see that, that leaps off the page is Scripture says our high priest is great. 
It's not just a quantitative statement, though he is the greatest in scope. It is also a qualitative statement talking about in quality, our high priest is great. The passage goes on, as you heard Brother Shane read, to talk about our high priest in comparison to human high priests, but it says that he is, is great. We have a phrase that is used, especially in the realm of sports, when a, a figure is particularly good, we call them the GOAT. Tom Brady recently retired, and, and the discussion is he's the greatest of all time, and, and, and it, may, it may be. In, in basketball, LeBron James, he's the greatest of all time, and arguments come up whether he is the greatest or is it Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or Will Chamberlain or on down the line. And when we talk about the GOAT, what we're really talking about is a person that is the greatest that we have ever known from today and past, and we compare him to other players and, and, and call them, they're, they're the GOAT. Well, our high priest is so great that he is not just a GOAT in respect to any that have come before, but he is the GOAT in respect to all that will come ahead forevermore. There will be another LeBron James. There will be another Tom Brady. There will be another Joe Montana. There will be another what is called a goat, but there will never, ever be another Jesus Christ. He is the great of great. Never to be another he is the greatest of all time. He is the high priest that is without error. He is the high priest that is always faithful. He is the high priest that is up to the job. He is the high priest that will never be retiring and will never be succeeded by another. Our high priest is great. And it behooves us to stop and to pause and to focus on just how great he is. He is the great high priest. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. He is our great high priest, the greatest of all time. The second thing that from the passage that we see, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. We see that our high priest is not only great, but he is exalted. This high priest that has passed through the heavens is not a reference to his origin or where he came from. It is true that he existed forever with God and as God in union with God and descended to come to live on this earth. But that's not what this is particularly speaking about when it says that our high priest has passed through the heavens. It's a reference not to his origin, but to his destination because our high priest is not like a human high priest that would be placed in a grave to live until the resurrection but he came out of the grave, and not only did he come out of the grave and spend time with disciples and others, but then he ascended. 
Our high priest has been exalted. He has passed through the heavens. He doesn't merely serve as the high priest in the realm of this world, which we can get so wrapped up in, but he serves as high priest in the realms of the heaven, heavens over the entire earth, constantly making intercession. Our high priest is exalted. And Ephesians refers to that, and, and there is a, a parallel passage there. But I want to read from Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, the process of when this took place. And, and I think about the guys. Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, they were asking him about, is this when Israel's going to be restored to its prominence? Is this when the kingdom is going to be reestablished? And these are the things that that's referring to. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Our high priest is not only great, our high priest is exalted. He has passed through the heavens, and these guys are, are, are there as it happens. And I just imagine them looking up with their mouth hanging open and just what, what just happened? What in the world just happened? He was here, he was with us, he was talking, and all of a sudden, there he goes. He has been taken up to the right hand of God, position of power to serve as our great high priest forevermore. Our high priest is great. Our high priest is exalted. I, I could insert another one which simply says our high priest is Jesus. And if I were to do that, you don't need another. You don't need Another. You don't need a man to go to God on your behalf because of what Christ has done and serves as a high priest. Forgiveness in him allows us access to the Holy of Holies, to the throne of God. Our high priest, though, as we read through the text, the next thing I want us to see is that our high priest is not only great, he's not only one that has passed through the heavens, our high priest is divine. Jesus, the Son of God. This statement sets him apart as superior to any and all of the high priests of human nature because this can be said of none of them. But our high priest is the Son of God. This is a statement that the the readers of this letter to the Hebrews would have understood to, to clearly convey the divinity of the man. The nature of him was not just that he was human, but he was also God. Son of God, our high priest is divine. Every other high priest was 100% man and 0% God, but Jesus as our high priest was 100% man and 100% God. 
in the culture that I live in, in a lot of Mormon folks, that is powerful and that is important. And I think in any culture where they're chipping away at the foundation of the faith is the nature of who Jesus is. Oh, he was a man. He was a historic figure. He was a good teacher. He was, Scripture tells us, yeah, but he was God. He is God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. If you have your Bible with me and you want to turn over there, I'll pause for a second. It's always good to hear pages turning, isn't it, brother? That's how you know folks aren't sleeping, by the way. Sleeping folks never flip through in the Bible, and when they do, it's because it's dropped out of their lap. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, talking about this Jesus, talking about this high priest, talking about this Son of God. It says this, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19 is the crux of the point here. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is not just one in the line in the succession of priests. This is our great high priest. This is the exalted high priest. This is the divine high priest. This is the high priest to end all high priests. His nature as divine made him the perfect and final high priest. We also see from the text, we see that not only is this high priest great, not only is this high priest the one who passed through the heavens, not only is this high priest Jesus and Jesus alone, not only is this high priest the Son of God, but this high priest is sympathetic. And that almost seems like it, it, it is a break in logic because we're talking about exaltation and divinity and greatness. And then all of a sudden, this idea that our high priest is sympathetic brings him right down to our level and the things that we go through from day to day. He is separated in his holiness, but he is joined to us by the righteousness of Christ that is applied on our behalf. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses. Sympathetic, that, that word in the Greek, it, it, it means to commiserate. It means to feel what another is feeling. When I shared this idea with my wife in the room, it was more treacherous than it is right now, though some of you ladies may wish to crucify me after I say this. 
when my wife was giving birth to our firstborn, she was in a lot of pain. I was unable to sympathize with what she was going through. Closest thing I could come up with is I've had a man cold or two, and, and what I understand is that a man cold is here, and, and labor must be just someplace right close to it, not quite as, not quite as bad, but, you know, it's got to be pretty tough. Don't tell her I said that to you. Our high priest does not just suppose and comparatively commiserate with us, but our high priest was tempted, Scripture says, in every way that you and I are, yet without sin. Do you have temptation that you feel like, I, I, I can't really bring that to the Lord? He, I can't, I, I. There is none that he is unable to sympathize with. There is no weakness. He gets it. Our high priest is sympathetic. I praise God that we have a high priest that is not a distant, detached deity, but rather a near and connected caregiver. Oh, he's going to deal with our sin. He has to deal with our sin, but he does it by being near and being connected and giving care. Our high priest is sympathetic since then we have this high priest since he is so great since he is exalted since he is divine since he understands and sympathizes with us how 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 do we respond scripture teaches us that we don't have this book that we can just acquire a, a set of facts and, and understand truths, but this book is given that we would gain these truths and then we would respond to them. Then we would walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we have received. There's two things from the passage that command how we should respond First one is, let us hold fast our confession. This idea in the Greek, this phrase, hold fast, if you imagine trying to hold sand in your hands and, and how difficult it would be because sand is slipping through your fingers and, and it's just the, the effort that is made to, to try and hold it and keep it from, from slipping through the fingers. The confession, what it is that we are to hold fast, is not confession that we often think where we go to God and we tell him about our sin, where we admit our sin and ask him to forgive. When it has the article before it, that it is our confession. What it's talking about here is a, a collection of beliefs and understanding. It's an agreed upon set of truths. It is, in this context, the gospel message. Let us hold fast our confession, the faith, the system of truths that is laid out not in the realm of public opinion or cultural conditions or system of truths as laid out in Scripture. Hold fast our confession. The gospel is one of those things that is profoundly easy to define, but 
It's also remarkably misunderstood even in the church. The gospel is very simply this. God created man without sin to live together at peace with one another and with him in the garden. Not long after the question that has plagued mankind since this very, that very day, the question was posed, did God really say? It's the same question that we're dealing with today, by the way. Did God really say? In disobedience, sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and we live with that sin today, and God in His holiness is separate from sin completely and totally, but instead of what He would have been right to do would be to leave us in that separation and to exist in His holiness, and instead what He did in His great mercy and grace and kindness and love, He sends His only begotten Son to live the life you and I couldn't live, die the death that only we deserved, and to in victory rise again the third day and ascend to his right hand and, and to do all that for the sake of anyone that would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Gospel is, is really simple, and this is the confession, but the command of the Scripture, as we have a great high priest of this gospel, this confession, the command is to hold fast. And the command is given because it is needed, because there is temptation to not hold fast, because there are forces in play that are trying to get you and I to not hold fast, to allow the confession to slip through the hands, to give up, to give in, to give out. The command is to hold fast. It didn't take long for this to be a challenge. Over in Galatians, I'll read just a few verses from chapter 1, but th this church was plagued by not holding fast to the confession, and Paul writes to them in verses 6 through 9, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of who trouble you and want you to distort the gospel of Christ and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Hold fast. For there are those that are suggesting a gospel that is different. To the readers of the book of Hebrews, when it was written to them by the author, the particular struggle was that they would revert back to Judaism and, and reconstruct the temple and, and, and redo the, the priestly order and, and all of the garments and all of that stuff, and that they would, would drift away and not hold fast to salvation by grace through faith, but they would revert to Judaism. He's saying, don't do it. I bet none of us in this room are, are, are struggling with becoming Jews. But I wonder if there are religious things that, that we would hold to that would get in the way of relying on the work and salvation by faith in Christ alone. 
as dangerous as rebuilding the temple is depending upon church attendance and depending upon giving and depending upon serving at the wild game supper to assure us of our salvation. As dangerous as a Another high priest being placed in office is the elevation of a pastor or a deacon or an elder. Hold fast to our confession that Christ is our high priest and he has ushered in salvation that is by grace through faith. The second thing, how do we respond to this kind of, of priest? And, and, and it's also the answer to how do I hold fast, preacher? You're saying hold fast. That sounds hard. How do I do it? The second thing he, he tells us, this is a remarkable thing. In verse 16, he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne. Draw near. In, our, in response to my sinfulness, God would be right to drive me away from his presence. God would be just to separate himself from me. But instead, what it says is because we have Christ as a high priest, the invitation is made to draw near. Not go away, but draw near. It's a command to us and it's a command that we need to observe draw near. I think it was Ben Franklin that said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first six sharpening my axe. Draw near to the throne of God. What gets in our way of drawing near in, present, in, in, in prayer, in meditation upon his word, in studying of scripture? What is it that stands in the way? I don't, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Somebody else said, I've got so much to do today. I will spend the first three hours in prayer. Draw near, draw near with confidence, not in confidence in ourself, but the confidence is confidence in the faithfulness and the greatness and the exaltation and the divinity of our great high priest. Because he is who he is, we are invited to draw near with confidence. Folks, do we draw near? Not just Sunday morning. If you're only drawing near on Sunday morning, you're starving yourself to death. Spiritually speaking, draw near with confidence. Confidence that comes by salvation in Christ. Draw near with confidence. For there you will find mercy. You will find grace. It is at his throne of grace is drawing near to him is where we're encouraged with not only the unmerited favor definition of grace, but also the working power of grace in us. It is there that we receive grace. It is there that we find withheld punishment, otherwise known as mercy. And this grace and this mercy, if you recognize that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need, our high priest is a timely high priest. It's not that, oh, I wish you would have been there if you only knew what I was going through now. His mercy and his grace is timely. When you need it, it is there. When it is 
is missing, you will find it in him. Finally, where is it that we are invited? We are invited to his throne. Our small group on Tuesday evenings, you can pray for us on Tuesday evenings. We're going through the book of Revelation. And just last week, we looked at Revelations chapter 4 and 5, kind of an overview. And in chapter 4 and in chapter 5, this throne, Hebrews refers to as the throne of grace. And Revelation 4 and 5, the John is been made able to see into the throne room and he sees the throne and in 4 and 5 it it mentions the throne 17 times at least and I want to pause and and I want to kind of in closing I want to read this chapter 4 of Revelation and, and just think about the setting, think about the scene think about the throne think about this as the place that the writer of Hebrews urges us to draw near so that in those moments where we're scratching out time in the morning to go to the Lord in prayer and meditating on his word. And and, and what Hebrews tells us is this is where we're being drawn near to spiritually. One day we will enjoy it physically, but now we are drawn near to it Spiritually, chapter 4 of Revelation says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. The first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, lesser thrones, by the way, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We are gifted with this description of what is going on around the throne. And in Hebrews, the writer says, 
an amazing truth in response to who our high priest, he says, to draw near to the throne of grace. He is a great high priest. Amen? Amen. How will we respond? Hold fast. Hold fast. There's not a more important message that could be preached in this community and any other. Hold fast and draw near. Father God, we thank you so much for this picture of your throne. God, I pray that you would help us to hold fast to our gospel confession. There may be somebody here right now that that has not repented and believed. And Lord, would you move upon their heart to understand that there is no hope of holding fast without repentance and belief. God, we thank you for your loving command to draw near to your throne. Lord, we thank you that there we find grace and mercy and, and help. And God, we thank you that because of the righteousness of your son, we can approach with confidence. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me, first of all, for the times that I have taken that access for granted and have found other things to be more important than drawing near to your throne. Father, there may be someone there out here before me this morning that has never drawn near in salvation. Lord, would you move upon their heart to understand that they are sinners and separated from you. Would you move upon their heart to see that you sent your son to die? That if they would simply repent, that they would turn from themselves and from sin and, and believe and place their trust and hope in what you have done in sending your son, Lord, that they could have everlasting life, forgiveness of sins, Lord, that they could be united with you. Would you draw them to yourself to cry out? repent, I believe. Lord, for those of us that have drawn near in salvation, Lord, help us to draw near every day, throughout the day, to your throne of grace. Father, I thank you for our time together. Pray you be with us as we apply your word to our lives and we live it out the rest of the week. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said.